Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Let's get it started in here. And the bass keeps running, running, and running. Five Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Roz, here at the opening line on the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? If so, it's time to get started. Let's go. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. What's up? What's up, everybody? This is the opening line with your host, Wits and Roz. We have a very special guest on the verge of a very special event, the FIFA World Cup. Today we are joined by Tori Christ. We are super excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. We, uh, I believe we have a decent amount of knowledge about the Women's World Cup and the women's sport of soccer nationally. I mean, we grew up, me and Xander, we have siblings who played soccer at not the highest level, but a pretty decent high level, and we grew up watching them. Um, but today you are going to be our coach, our guide, which is actually your current profession. You're going to help us out as we go through the Women's World Cup. Before we get there, we want the fans to get to know you a little bit. So how about we just go into the start of your career? We could start your days at Cornell or even before that when you fell in love with soccer. Kind of give us a little bit of the details how it all began for you. Sure. Um, well, I started out, uh, I started playing soccer, I think, around the age of six. Um, started, you know, like most kids start just kind of different learning different positions and, um, ended up in, in the goal. And, um, my dad was a hockey goalie, so he never wanted to push it on me, but I think, um, in the back of my, my bag, I always had a pair of goalie gloves. And one day I was maybe six or eight, um, our keeper got hurt and they said, who wants to go in the goal? And I, I volunteered and the coach was like, oh, let me give you some, um, gloves and some and a jersey and I was like don't worry coach I already have the gloves and I whipped them <laughs> out and never came out of the goal so I think I, I found the right position and um, I played all through high school I grew up in Buffalo New York um, played at Narden Academy um, which is an all-girls prep school um, and you know did well in western New York um, soccer wise and then I got recruited by a couple different schools and I ended up um, playing at Cornell and um there I was a two time captain. Um I led the Ivy League in, in saves um my junior and senior year and um you know, it was an incredible experience and a great academic fit for me as well. And then um I I guess I after my uh midway through my senior year, um I ended up going to a couple professional NWSL tryouts and um, ended up going to the Boston Breakers tryout, and it kind of just took off from there in terms of my professional career. So it's been an amazing journey, um, and you know, from from playing with the Breakers to being in Europe, I just I've loved every second of it. Let, let me ask about goalkeepers because to me, 
I know that you guys aren't constantly in play. Obviously, you guys are protecting right. the net, making sure that nobody is scoring. But I consider you guys kind of like the bruisers. I mean, you said your dad was a hockey goalie, and they absolutely take he a was. beating with the puck. I'm assuming similar sense with goalkeeping. Like For me, you guys are ready to go. You're the final line, last defense, and you guys are the bruisers. You're keeping it out. And I think that also leads to like, the best celebrations. If you were any position on a soccer field, I think you save a goal, you have the best opportunity to celebrate. Am I right or am I wrong? <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm obviously biased, but um, <laughs> I think with, with you know being goalkeeper, it's a special a position a special breed and yeah I was one so I'm I am biased but um you know there's it's like a high pressure situation you could go 15 20 minutes without an instant of truly being involved in the game yes you're organizing and you're staying connected to your team and you're kind of like the the eyes out there for for the entire field but you're not it's like a very reactionary position in terms of like you're called on in situations so um I think to that degree, it's like you've got to be focused all the time. Um, you know, there's a, a pressure in that, like, if you make a mistake, you could go another 20 minutes without having to to deal with something and you have to reset. So, um, but I, in terms of, like, the celebration side of things, if you ever watch a goalkeeper when a goal is scored or if you ever see a, see a, a goalkeeper save a PK, it's like, lights out incredible celebrations are just immense immense focus and um yeah i think you're right in that in that degree for sure i mean let's be honest when you see somebody score a goal on you and then they do that celebration you're just like waiting and waiting for the opportunity to kind of like throw it back in their face (laughs) yeah it's a little it's i would say a sweet moment when you're You know, it's it's such a good moment when you make a save or you make a save you weren't expecting to make. And it, I think with with goalkeeping, like those saves can kind of tip a game in terms of it's zero zero and um, you know pressures on both ends. And a keeper comes up with a big save. It's like a big momentum changer in terms of the run of play, and you you can kind of feel the energy that you're giving to your team in those moments too. So what's it like when the ball's on the other side of the field? Like, what are you thinking about? Because like you said, you're you're out of the action maybe 15 or 20 minutes at a time. And I've always wondered, like, what that's like for you kind of watching the game but also having to be prepared. Like, if the ball is on the other side of the field, like, what's that like for you? Sure. Well, I think you're, uh, you're focusing, like, in a tactical sense of where is the ball in the field and am I connected? You won't always want to be connected to your back line. You want your back line to be connected to the midfield. And, and midfield to forward. So you're a little bit like the quarterback back there in terms of you're, you're constantly working on your positioning and just staying involved. I think the mental side of being a goalkeeper is is probably the most challenging part because that, that's exactly it is you're not always involved and it's a 90-minute game and um, you're called upon from time to time. But So I think I, I always thought about like just staying engaged um, kind of – following the play like making sure that I'm connected making sure that if the ball comes over the top of the back line I'm within the line of like I can clean it up I can be an option back for support um and just always being ready because you you never know there's like you know in like hockey or different sports counterattacks happen and I would call those transitional moments within the game and that's a huge part of kind of um, staying involved and, and being constantly like connected to the game and to your team as well. So, 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So I also look at it, it is just one of the hardest things in sports to be a goaltender. I mean, hitting a baseball, self-explanatory, but as a goalie, there is so much area you have to cover and you see some rocket shots coming your way. 2012, though, 88 <laughs> saves at Cornell. You have the record. Is it still the current record at Cornell for most saves in a season? It, it's it's ranked 11th in program history, so it's still a record. Still yeah. a record. Perfect. Uh, what what like what is your feeling about when the ball is coming your direction? What's like what's your first thought? Are you trying to predict where it's going, or can you kind of read on a player's face where they're looking to aim at? Um, I think it's it's very situational in terms of, um, you know, as I wasn't the tallest of goalkeepers. I think that's that's probably something I would say within my career is everybody, if you physically looked at me and I say, what position do you think I played? No one ever guessed goalkeeper because goalkeepers are generally taller. I'm, I would say I'm 5'4 on a good day, 5'5 five five if I'm playing it up a little bit. But <laughs> um, I think with – because of my physical stature, I had to really be, um, I was very quick in terms of my, my reactions and I loved shot stopping. That was probably my, one of my biggest strengths, but I think, um, I really had to be, you talked about being in tune with, with the rhythm of the game. I had to have like an early recognition in terms of, okay, there's a forward driving down the side of the field. Where should I be positionally? How high should I be off my line? and just kind of recognizing, oh, their head is up, like little cues like that, probably going to shoot from distance. And I couldn't be out as far as someone who was a lot taller than me. So I really had to kind of fine-tune those those moments and um, work on, you know, still every aspect of my game, but just kind of reading it a little bit differently. And I think um, there's different cues, like you mentioned, that when when a shot is taken, you just want to be, like, set, um, in terms of like your positioning, you want to be able to react. You want to be able to get low if the ball is driven low. Um, be able to be set to explode if it's a little bit higher. And um, so it, it, you're you're constantly. That's why it's, you can't have a lapse in in a moment because if you're not set at the right time, you're late to react. And then it's that you talk about the like nuances of goalkeeping. Is so much of it is timing, and it could that little timing could be the inch between you getting your fingertips to the ball and pushing it wide or being late and it, it, the, the ball's in the back of the net. So, um, I, but I love that side of goalkeeping too because it, it, you really do need to be perfect or, or close to perfect to be able to get the job done and make a save in a, in a big moment. Yeah, and, and talking about you know big moments, I know that you, you've played professionally for a few teams, and I just wanted to you know kind of go through what was that like when you signed you know your first contract with the Boston Breakers, you know after playing at Cornell. I'm sure that was pretty exciting for you. Um, but what was that like becoming a you know a professional? It was amazing. I um, my whole life, I think I wanted to be one of two things. I wanted to be a professional soccer player, like any little little kid playing a sport when they're young or I wanted to be an architect starting out. And um, I just kept playing soccer and I got to Cornell and, um, you know, there are ups and downs like any career. I, I, I think I just I had to work really hard and um, that's always been my kind of fallback is my work ethic. So when I, when I signed, when I started playing with the Boston Breakers, it was just an incredible learning experience. You know, you talk about the world cup and, the starting goalkeeper for the U.S. national team is Alyssa Nair. Um, and she was on the breakers when I was on the breakers. So 
it's just to to be able to be training with players of that caliber who, you know, now she is she's going to be in the goal for them this this cycle. Um it was just an amazing experience and um some of the older players like Heather O'Reilly who's was a fixture with Abby Wambach and kind of that era was on the breakers. And I think one of the days of my life I will never forget is after the breakers, I, I went to a professional combine in California and um, there was a bunch of agents and a bunch of European scouts. And a lot of them were Swedish division teams there. And um, I was out there and I did well and nothing came right away. And so I went back to the breakers and it was, my second preseason with them and um, I had just gotten home one day in Boston and I got a phone call from one of the, the agents who was who representing a Swedish um, agency and I picked up the phone and he introduced himself. He said like, I was at the combine. Um, we thought you did really well. And um, a club reached out to him and they wanted to sign me as their starting goalkeeper. And the question that he asked that I'll never forget was, how quickly can you get to Sweden? And here I am in Boston being like just completely shocked. And that truly was like a call that made my dream come true. And, you know, within a week and a half, I was on a flight from Toronto to Stockholm, Sweden. And within a week from there, we had our first league game. And um, I played for a club. We were called Vestros Biekotreti in Sweden. Um, and I played there for a full season and then I came back and trained where I'm originally from in Buffalo, New York, went back to that same combine in California. And, um, following that combine, I got assigned to play in, in very, very North Finland, um, called in a town called Rovaniemi. And I played for the club that was called Rovaniemi in Paolo Seora, which took me the full seven months to be able to even say it. But, yeah, let me um, just say how happy we are that you're thing. saying these names for us because there was zero shot <laughs> yeah. in hell I was going to get any of these right. Yeah, well, Rovaniem and Paolo Seora, the, the short of that is Rops. So nice. I think just that's a fallback is I always was just say I played for Rops and it was easier. But I, yeah, no worries. I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, you definitely saved us, the, saved us there. What were some of the craziest experiences, I guess, being overseas? I mean, for me, I can't fathom that. I guess every sport I've played has been so American-driven, and usually when you want to go yeah. pro in it, you stay within the country. Obviously, basketball, there is some going out of the country for that, but was it completely mind-blowing? Was there a lot of language barriers? What was kind of the experience being overseas for that many years? Sure. Um I, it was an incredible experience. I think the biggest thing that you learn is like people say you're as you're about to go, you're going to be really outside your comfort zone, and that couldn't have been more true. Um, but you you know that going into it, and you have to be okay with it. Um, but it's still something that you consistently learn throughout your time there. Um, I think being in Europe, um, although like in in Sweden and Finland, um, the so- the soccer culture is just it's contagious. Like when I was being signed, I was like, Oh, well, it's not Germany. It's not Spain. It's not those big division teams where like, it's such a part of the culture. And I still went to, to those countries. And it's like the lifestyle people, when I was in Finland, um, be like, it was a smaller town in Northern Finland, but those fans like grew up with falling rocks their whole lives. Like you would get to the stadium and, kind of like an American football tailgate, 
people are covering like the parking lots of the stadium and they have the scarves and when we would score we had a really good men's team that played in it was called the Vikas Liga um and they ended up playing the Europa League but when we would score there was like a whole portion of the stadium that would blow blue smoke our colors were blue and white um so it was just like surreal to kind of see that was my perception based on like watching Premier League games or you know watching other like European games and then to be a part of it was really really special and I think with being overseas the language barrier was it was hard I think we're fortunate in that English is so widespread that lots of people especially like kind of the the younger kids didn't really they learned in school but they weren't comfortable with it and then the older um, people weren't so fluent but most people spoke English to some degree but in terms of learning I went to Sweden and I I really tried to to learn it and I went there and I was like well this is really hard and I I did everything I like would get lessons each day from a teammate I I had an app that I would practice um it was a Duolingo app it was 15 minutes a day and I wanted to learn more than left (laughs) right goalkeeper up down those kinds of things and um then I went to Finland and I was like it's got to be easier than Swedish because Swedish was really hard and it was so much harder. It was like sounds that I couldn't even formulate like as, you know, English language speaking. It was just like sounds that I was so not familiar with made different letters within their alphabet. So that was, that was pretty difficult. But um, I think in terms of just being immersed in different cultures, I think I grew as a goalkeeper. I think I, I grew so much as a person um, and you really learn to, be you learn to appreciate things about the states that you didn't know was different in other places you learn to appreciate a lot about different cultures um that you wouldn't have experienced otherwise so i think it was it were they were some of the best years of of my life and some of the best learning things soccer aside just as like a human being they were really important that's awesome and this is going to be kind of like a two-part question because you kind of alluded to both of them just now so in terms of you you played both in the united states and overseas what was the mm-hmm. fan base like i know you mentioned that it seemed rowdy but was there ever a comparison to the united states or are we way behind in our soccer fandom and which took you on more competitively was it more competitive overseas or was it more competitive here on american soil that's a great question um i think i think it's a little bit within the States, it's dependent on the location. I would say, I think if you're out in Portland um, and you have the Portland Timbers and the Portland Thorns and, and soccer is a huge part of their kind of identity in that area. Um, I would say the fan base there is, is pretty incredible in terms of the, the United States scale. Um, I think being in Europe, it's just like a little bit more of like a lifestyle where people People are like born into their club. Um, you know, with yesterday you had the Champions League final, and I think people who talk about being Tottenham Spurs fans, like they're born and raised and bred, and they like bleed those colors, and and they're so like proud. And I think I would say it's a little bit more. You get more of that aspect in Europe, um, but I think the States is coming along. I think we're really fortunate to have um, the United States, the women's national team. I think they do an incredible job of kind of um, 
emotionally pulling in Americans and the last world cup was the most watched world cup in history. And I think this year could really rival that. And especially they're playing off of the, the 99ers, the 20th anniversary with, you know, when it was Mia Hamm and Brianna Scurry and Christine Lilly, I think that this world cup is really going to be a huge platform for Americans to kind of, really delve into soccer and for the game to continue to grow in the States. And I really hope that, that we see that because I think um, it's, it is like a worldwide language and, and you see that when you're in Europe. And I think that we're getting there in terms of the game in the States. But um, I think, you know, it, it is, it's getting there. And I think it's a little bit um, locationally varied between here and, and Europe. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, Tori. And I know you, you've played with a lot of, you know, different teams and I'm sure a lot of great teammates along the way. And I was wondering, you know, do you still keep in touch with, you know, some of the people that you met in, you know, Stockholm, Sweden and, you know, over in Finland? Do you still keep in touch with some of those teammates? I do. I, I really try to make a conscious effort to keep in touch. I um, I think it's it's been really cool to, to see where some of their careers have gone and um, even to to remember playing some people and seeing where they are. Uh, one of the experiences from Sweden that I'll never forget is um, we, we played in the, it's called the Svenska Kupen and it's the countrywide cup. Um, and it's like a lottery based kind of system in terms of the top division there, um, the Damelstenskan and then the lower division, the Elidetan, that all those teams play each other. And so we advanced to the third round and we played at the time it was the number one ranked team in Sweden and they're called Eskilstuna United. And it was probably, I would say that the best, the game of my life or the most important moment in my career, I think um, we scouted them and we watched Eskilstuna play a team called FB Rosengård and we're watching the game and Marta at the time played for FC Rosengård. So here I am in the stands being like, okay, I'm scouting the team that's playing Marta that I just couldn't believe like this is what my career, like I felt so fortunate that to be in that position and to have worked to get to that point. Um, and so we played Eskistuna and um, we were ranked below them and we, they ended up winning, but I had a couple moments in that game, a couple of saves where um, you just, I felt like I had like a couple out of body experiences and it was in this huge stadium and, our like it was I felt like the entire town of Vestros had come out to it and other people so um I think with just being able to and and the girls on Eskastuna um there was a couple of them who the following year the year not to bring this up but the year that Sweden beat the U.S. in the Olympics (laughs) had played for Eskastuna so I'm watching the following year in Finland watching the U.S. Sweden game being like oh she's she's gonna come down the right flank and she's gonna try and cross it to the left side and sure enough she does it and I was like I this is unbelievable so (laughs) I still stay in touch with a bunch of people um it's really cool to see a couple people that I've played with and that I know pretty well named to different world cup rosters and representing a couple different countries so um yeah it's I, I love the world cup I think it's such a cool thing for for people to watch and I think it pulls you in even if you're not a soccer fan like you can't help but watch and be like this like there's people from all over the world just kind of drawn in that way right and you brought it up the world cup 
which we're going to get into now. I just want to say, you also said this, that the Champions League match was yesterday. But in my mind, the only yeah. thing I focused on in the soccer universe is the Women's World Cup coming up. I don't know what it is. I know for a fact that the women's soccer players in the United States are so much more badass than that of our male kind of, or yeah. males. I mean, let's... let's on a, front line, right, on a front line basis, you won the World Cup four years ago, and we didn't even right. make the last one. Um, so I love it. I think the personalities are fantastic. And you started to be, uh, talk about it with some of the players you've seen that are playing internationally. Marta actually was going to come up in one of my questions when we talk about players to watch in this upcoming World Cup. Sure. But the United States were favored 7-4. to four. So I know mm-hmm. we're going to France, who actually is the second highest odds to win the World Cup. What are some of the teams you're looking at that might stand a chance, might be able to beat the United States? Obviously, we're rooting for our hometown girls here. But are there some sneaky teams or teams that aren't getting enough love that you think are going to compete in this World Cup? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, within the different group stages, I think there's – there's a couple really tough matchups within just um, a group. So you talk about the U.S. group, they're going to have to – I think it will come down to U.S. and Sweden, and that's a whole other storyline in terms of the last time the U.S. played Sweden was the um, 2016 Olympic final. So um, I think those are two teams to watch out for. I'm obviously pulling for the U.S. 100%. And I think that they are favored to win, but it's like in any phenomenon in sports, to do something – to repeat after a cycle of, of change and um, people are kind of like nipping at your heels because they know what you bring. I think that's a, a tough um, side of, of the U S winning this world cup again. Um, I think um, I would say France is, is another really strong team, Germany and Spain. They're always up there. Um, Germany and Spain, I think we're are in the same group. So that's another tough matchup. Um, and I think Canada, you got some, some pretty big names still there. Christine Sinclair, I think, um, they, they have a good style of soccer and I think, um, Australia, I'm a little curious. I, I, am a huge Sam Kerr fan, um, who's, she's done really well within, um, the NWSL and she's having a great year so far. So I would love to see them come out of their, their group and, you know, they're with, with Brazil. So everybody, and I think this is Marta's fifth World Cup, so um, I want to see her do well. I think Brazil brings a lot of talent, but I think they always seem to struggle in terms of just execution. Like they, they I don't know what's missing, but it's. I, I, re- I was reading an article, and um, they referred to Brazil as the bridesmaids, but never the bride. And I was like, that is so sad, but so true. So and oddly, I think um, that's yeah, the same for their men's team as well. Their yeah, men's team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You brought up Sam Kerr, who wits. She's our girl. She plays for the Chicago Red Star, so our hometown team. She's mm-hmm. uh, she's an all-time top scorer in the United States National Women's Soccer League, so that's beyond impressive as is. For soccer, though, it's 11 players on the field for your team at a time. Can one player really dictate? I mean, I know we've seen Lionel Messi and we've seen the Cristiano Ronaldo's of the world, but they've never actually won a World Cup Right. Need, it's in what's great about the United States. I think the team through and through is so impressive and strong in all areas. Can you be a stout standout though, and push your team further and further through the world cup? Someone like Sam Kerr for Australia. I think that's really tough. I think, um, I think that an individual standout can have moments and maybe can 
steal a game or, or tip a game. But I think you said it like so accurately in terms of the U.S. They have so many solid just fixtures all across the field. And I think that's when it comes down to like a, a championship team and or a team that does well, it, it's so much of like kind of fitting, it's almost like a puzzle, fitting the right pieces together the way that they work and they know each other inside out and they play, they all buy into the style of soccer that, that they're playing. And I think you're more likely to get that brand of soccer that's going to work more together as a unit when you, when you just, it's not just one superstar who, who can maybe score one or two goals. And I, I just, I feel like in terms of longevity, you need the more consistent, um, you know, a couple big names or studs here and there, but you have to have the consistency across the board. So I do think that's a huge strength of the U S and I think they have like, they have eight players, at least on this world cup roster that have over a hundred caps. Um, you know, Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapino, Tobin Heath, um, Alex Morgan, of course, I think those are, that's, there's something to be said about the experience factor and, uh, and they have some, some younger players that are just being kind of breaking through and, um, Sam Newis, who she she plays for the North Carolina Courage, but um, I played with her sister, Christy Mewis, and I had a couple of different training sessions with Sam, and now she's kind of breaking through in terms of the U.S. roster. I think they can expect big things from her, and everyone sees Rose Lavelle as, as a young, upcoming player too. So I think, um, I think they have a really good mix and not just one superstar. So I think that's, there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, and that's I think that's really exciting. Like with the World Cup team, you get you know people who've been there for a long time. Then you get the up and coming players. And talking about you yeah. know where you're at right now at Boston University, do you watch? Will you watch any of these World Cup games with the girls that you're you're coaching now? Um, right now, the girls are mostly girls are are back home for training over the summer, and um, so we probably won't watch them like all sitting together, but. Um, you bet they'll, all the girls will be watching. Um, we have a couple girls actually going to World Cup to, uh, I think a lot of them are going to the semifinal, the final, they have tickets. So it's so much of the culture within our program is, um, being able to watch different games and, and to learn not only from your position, but just the styles of play. And, um, our head coach, Nancy Feldman is actually, um, there's a, a big, uh, it's called the United Soccer Coaches association and it's one of the main coaches association um within the united states and she's co-leading a course a coaches course um at the world cup so she'll be there for three weeks um doing that so i think it just says a lot about um our culture and and the leadership and just it's truly doing in order i think if you want to be one of the best players that you can be you have to be a student of the game and that comes down to just watching games and what better time to watch games than the World Cup? Right. And I think being a student of the game, also uh, following an example. And so are there players that you tell your girls to look at in terms of their talent, their skill sets, some of the attributes that you think make a professional soccer player? So on this year's U.S. national team, who are some of the players that you think best represent a professional athlete? Sure. Um I think we're we're really fortunate, and we have a lot of those. I think um, the prime example of kind of being a technician, like so so technical on the ball and so um, smooth and with all the vision, is Tobin Heath. Um, I think 
that we would definitely use her as an example for, for that part of her game. I think Alex Morgan is really dynamic up top. She has a speed. Um, she makes runs that, um, you know, you talk about like a run that can, can dictate a pass. So it's, she makes a run that is a cue for a midfielder to play the ball through, or um, she can use those bursts of speed to just run out or something. And she has really good finishing ability. I think she's a great example. Um, Julia Ertz, I think, is just an all-around. She's a great leader. She she has this huge presence on the field. I think she's going to be huge for the U.S. this year, especially coming off of um, her last World Cup where she really emerged. Um, I'm curious to see how Carly Lloyd does. I, I think um, it kind of reminds me a little bit with – I think she's she still has so much in her, but the last World Cup, huge storyline with Abby Wambach and how she'd kind of come off the bench and – it was her last World Cup, and I think you've seen within the last couple matches before the U.S. has, has gone to France is Carly Lloyd. She started to get more playing time towards the end, but for a couple of games, she's, she had a couple games where she was getting only like a limited amount of minutes. And so, um, But I think she, she, she has this competitive aspect about her that you just – she's very gritty and, you, and, and still a very smart player. So I think she's a good example too, and – um, and, and the goal, I think, Alyssa there. I'm probably biased having learned from her, but I think she's just, she's really, she does the simple things really well, and she's so consistent. And I think, you know, kind of being Hope Solo's shadows, it's, I'm just so excited for her in terms of this is, this is her chance to kind of put her stamp on U.S. soccer. So um, I think she's a good example for a goalkeeper. I think it's, plenty of good goalkeepers out there and in, in the world cup this year. So I'm excited to watch all of them as well. Yeah. Speaking of, you said Alyssa is in hope solo shadow. I mean, in terms of play, yeah. look, that's going to be something we're going to have to watch if she's going to perform to that level. H does she having been on a team with her, does she have a similar personality? Is she a little more quiet? Is she more upbeat? I mean, hope solo. I mean, you hear that name. It's everywhere <laughs> in every news yeah. factory ever. What's Alyssa, style compared to Hope Solo? They're very different. Um, I think Alyssa, I think Hope Solo, like her, she had a, a chip on her shoulder and it was such an edge. And right. I think it's a huge reason why she was as good as she was. And she she made saves. I think she was a great example of, of like a U.S. goalkeeping and she was an incredible goalkeeper. I think Alyssa, her presence is very, very different. It's a little bit understated. Still very good, very competitive. Um, but she she just, uh, I think what I said before is she does the simple things really well. She she manages her box. She creates a presence, but it's a little bit more of a quieter presence or a little bit more humble and understated presence. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be an interesting adjustment and an interesting dynamic because I think as a goalkeeper you just you want a goalkeeper that's going to exude confidence and within within reason but I think you know you, you do you are looked upon in moments of high pressure so um, I think Alyssa keeps her cool I think she she's very level-headed um, but that's just it's very different than Hope Solo and um, you know Alyssa I think she she still does crossword puzzles every day to like kind of start the day and she's just more soft-spoken and I think it, it's going to be a change for the U.S. but I don't think it's a bad thing at all. 
Yeah, and uh, Tori, when are we going to see you in goal for the women's national team? Oh, well, that's a good question. But uh, <laughs> I think I'm still still training, still playing, um, still love the game. But um, I think there's a lot of really good up-and-coming goalkeepers, too. I think you, you look at Adriana French, who is she made the World Cup roster, Ashlyn Harris, um, and they have their eyes on like, a couple other players, and Jane Campbell has been in and out of the mix. Um, so, you know, one day, if, if that ever happens, um, I would consider myself very lucky, but uh, we've got a long way to go. Hey, we'll be campaigning for you, though, and we'll, if we need to start some rivalries with some of the other United States athletes, we will, and we'll back you up oh, all the way you through. You do that for me? That's so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've got you here at the opening line. Um, let's just talk about picks, I guess, essentially. So again, United States are the favorite to win. I'm assuming that's going to be your pick. I mean, it's our pick here. We can't really pick against our nation. Um, interesting, interesting groups. We've got England and Japan in the same group. Obviously we took down Japan in the last world cup finals. I think that right now technically is the group of death due to those teams having the highest odds and being in the same group. I think it would be fun seeing England and the United States. Is there any matchup you're looking forward to that could potentially happen, or is that is already signed up with the group play? Yeah, I think in terms of a final, I think if we could ever see the U.S.-France final, um, I think that would be a great matchup, obviously with France being the host country and the U.S. just being um, the, the old champion, I think would be – really cool um i think germany could be a tough team but i think the germany spain um dynamic within the group is a tough one so i think usa france would be a really really great final yeah i would love to beat them on their on their home turf you know that's yeah, uh, <laughs> be yeah. an amazing feeling i mean canada i don't know how they performed last time around but that is where the last world cup was right right yeah Perfect. i think canada's another good team they have Sinclair, um, uh, they have um, Adriana Leone, who formerly played for the Breakers, but she's she's a tough one to play against too. So I I wouldn't count them out. I just um, I think I just want to see USA and France. Yeah, that would be absolutely amazing. I'm in for that. I'm also always in for USA England. I mean, the Revolutionary War. If we get that get that sparked again, <laughs> that'd be amazing. I've got a big question for you. I though. agree. Um, this I sure. this might go in to political stuff around the sport and everything, but Ada Hagerberg, and I'm forced to say the name, I probably botched that a little bit, of Norway, 23-year-old phenom, plays for Olympiakos Leones, I, again, probably botched that one, um, is not going to be in this World Cup due to um, the disregard for women's sports in her country. Are you seeing a change in the United States? Are you seeing change in the world landscape? Or is there really still a massive divide between the way men's sports are handled and women's sports are handled, especially in the sport of soccer? Um, I think it's getting better. I think, I think the tough thing is there's, it's always a topic of conversation, and I think that's a really positive thing, that it's on the forefront. Um, I think there's still a lot of work that that needs to be done, but I think the U.S. has kind of um, pushed for equal pay, and I think the craziest thing is that, you know, the last Women's World Cup was the most watched World Cup in World Cup history, so uh, to to not put them on the same playing field when, when they're devoting their lives just the same way and training just as hard as 
um, it really is a shame. So right. um, I think it's to see players who are taking such a stand is is pretty um, incredible. I, I think it's getting better, but I do think it's um, needs some work. And I think we're seeing a huge push for women in sports, um, not only within soccer, but across different sports. And that's been really encouraging. But um, sometimes I think it's it's a little sad that it's such a topic. Like you want to just see athletes as athletes. And so when it's constantly a conversation of oh, women in sports or women are getting there, um, you still feel like it's a co- topic of conversation, which makes you feel like we're not there yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's just really important to, to keep pushing. And um, I think this world cup is going to be a huge platform. I think um, the U S really, they do an incredible job of, um, pulling you in and, and really trying to inspire future generations. And they emphasize the the next female soccer player. And I think we saw that with the last World Cup. I don't know if you guys saw the commercial that was released with Abby Wambach, but the message behind it was um, forget me. And the whole premise behind that was that she's, you know, her name is, is such such a, a big name in soccer, and it probably will be for future generations, but you know, like Mia Hamm and and Christine Lilly, and it, no one can ever forget that iconic moment with Brandy Chastain in the '99 World Cup. But um, I think her idea of forget me is that women in sports continues to to push and continues to the level raises. The players continue to to get better and to push for that equal platform within women and men in sports. So. Um, I, I want to keep seeing that, and I think that we will, but I do think there's a, a little way we still have to go. Absolutely, and equality for all is definitely the main goal, and especially, like we said earlier, the women's soccer team heads and heels above the men's soccer team it's in this country, especially. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I, right, and I, I wanted to come on. I mean, I think it's easy to poke fun at Hope Solo. I was, I was going to see if I could do that somewhere, but... Actually, beyond her checkered past and some of the decisions she's made, she's actually been a huge advocate for this equality and passed some legislation recently that was super exciting, and she's been super all about that. But I want to circle back to Etta here real quickly. Tori, if you had the opportunity to perform at the World Cup, but there was a social issue, would you choose the social issue to not and not perform, or would you go and try to be a voice on the platform of performing? Um, I think that's, that's a really tough question. Right. Um, I think given the situation, I'd, I'd have to think really long and hard about it, but I think that, um, I think I would err on the side of performing and using my performance, um, almost like an active means of, of representing the message that I wanted to represent and, and just being who I was, who I am as an athlete. Um, I think I would, I feel like you, you work so hard and, and then you do get the platform, but to be able to do what you do and play the sport that you love and, and represent yourself in that way. And then to promote the message to me is, is pretty powerful. So I think I would, I would opt for that side of it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, choosing the other, but I, I think that's what I would do. Right. Like I can see both sides in terms of like spiting (laughs) your country in a sense not wanting to perform well for them or help them win because of the way they're treating you. But then also, like, I was kind of thinking of in the way you mentioned, it is a platform. There are millions of people that are going to be watching across the world. You can make a stand. I mean, we've seen it in the Olympics. 
when it came to racial injustice. I mean, I think having this platform is an absolute gift. I definitely see both sides of it, but I would err on the side of performing myself. I mean, I have nowhere near the talent to perform on any professional stage, but I think I would perform as well to and try to get my message across at the same time, which definitely would be difficult, but I think that's the way I'd also go with that. Yeah, me too. I think uh, we we could try it together if you want to do it. We could try it together. Hey, if you that's what I'm saying. We're going to back you up. We're going to get you on the national team and then you can bring me on. I don't know what role I could have there, but I can I can be somebody on the sideline and definitely swing my arms around making a point. Yeah, well, I'll I'll back you up for sure. I think that would be we'd all be lucky, so. Right, it would be great. And then we can travel to awesome yeah. countries and play professional soccer. Sure. Yeah, and Tori, so, I mean, you, you've had such a great career so far, and one of the things I was wondering, now that you're a coach, you know, what's, like, the main difference for you, you know, from being on the field and now, like, being on the sidelines as, as more of a mentor? Um, what's, like, the main difference between being a coach and a player in your eyes? Um, that's a good question, too. I think it's it's been a, a big learning experience. Um, I I really like the, the mentoring side of coaching um, because I think you – you come across, I was a psychology major at Cornell and I think you come across so many different personalities and I really like as a coach kind of figuring out the different personalities and how you can motivate and inspire and get the most out of, out of different players. So um, I think that's been such a learning experience as a coach. I think um, you talk about being a student of the game. And I think when I was a player, I was a goalkeeper. So I saw, the game so much through the lens of, of goalkeeping and um, you're so used to being the last person back and seeing positionally different positions um, from that lens. So I think as a coach, I've, I've had to learn and see the different nuances of, you know, you know, how a midfielder can um, shape their body to be, to get good supporting angles or how the back line should move as a unit. I always, I saw that, you know, okay, that's my back line and I'm organizing them as a goalkeeper, but they are a unit within themselves. So kind of figuring out how they work together. And I've been so fortunate in terms of the environments that I've been in and um, different coaches that I've gotten the opportunity to talk to. And I think that's one thing with coaches in general and um, especially older coaches who have been in the game so long is they, they love the mentoring side of things too. So as a younger coach, um, you really benefit from just having simple conversations and picking people's brains about their coaching philosophy, their style of play, their experiences. So um, I think that's been a huge part of, of being a coach is you, your eyes like expand through watching the game in a different way. And um, I think that that helps you at, at just watching the game, but I think um, it helps you as a player and as a person too. Would you say your long-term goal outside of continuing to play is to be a head coach one day for a program, maybe even say Cornell at one point? Uh, that comes up a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I would, yes, I think so. I think um, I, I do love working with the goalkeepers. Um, it's always been my passion. And um, you talk about really being in your element. Uh, I felt that way when I was in the goal and I feel that way when I'm, working with the goalkeepers and I get so excited when they make big saves or they make saves that you, you see them pop up and they're like surprised that they even got there. Um, and I, I just get such a, a thrill from that. So 
Um, I think as a head coach, a lot of times you see head coaches that um, even some more goalkeepers, but they don't work with the goalkeepers so much. So that's something that I know I would miss or I would want to try and incorporate as a head coach. But I think in terms of my coaching career, I, I think I have a lot to learn. And, um, you know, I'm still young within within the coaching world. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, that is a goal. And, um, you know, I, back at Cornell, I think – um, it's my alma mater. I have a lot of love for it. Um, it was a great, I, I was so fortunate to start my coaching career there, um, and be a part of the program in a different way as, as then being a player and, um, a captain. So, but I'm open to, I, I'm really happy in Boston. I, I think it's an incredible program. I'm already learning so much. Um, so I think it's just, or at this point, taking it day by day, learning as much as I can and, and just seeing where, everything takes me. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is a question that I got asked literally yesterday by my boss. Her name's Jessica Wynn. And this has to do a little bit with coaching and seeing prospects and people. There's this 13 year old phenom right now that we talked a little bit before we started the show to name. Her name is Olivia Moultrie. Again, might have botched mm-hmm. the last name, still working on it. <laughs> She's 13. She got her first scholarship to UNC at 11. She just signed yeah. a Nike deal upwards of a hundred plus hundreds of thousands of dollars. It has to be more than the scholarship was worth is what her agent said. How can you tell at that age? Because I have a problem with that in basketball. I have a problem with people giving scholarships to kids who are 11 or 13 because the competition is 11 and 13. It's not like they're facing high school grade players or college age players. And so how do you know at such a young age that they have the prospects to be worth that Nike deal or a professional at the age of 13? Yeah, I, um, I think it's, it's risky. I think there's so much development that happens like beyond the age of 13, I would say um, 15, 16, 17, 18 even. And, and obviously once you get to college, like they say the biggest change happens between your freshman and your sophomore year. But I think that, um, investing so much in, in a player at that age, um, she, she probably is incredibly talented and has great um, instincts and sees the game really well for her age. But I think that the tough thing is you're seeing her in a pool of players in her age. And I think it's really tough to, to look at the, her trajectory and say, okay, she's going to peak at this time. And, um, we know that we're going to get this out of her. It's such an investment. And um, I think, I think she, people need a lot of time to continue to develop before you can kind of say, oh, we got our eyes on, on her at the age of 13. Um, and she's a big prodigy, but um, you don't, you never know how people are going to pan out or if there's going to be an injury or who knows, maybe you want to see them continue to love the game, but um people can burn out and everything like that. So I think it's, it's tough in terms of recruiting and and making all these decisions as players are so young. Yeah. And for me, heartbreaking was the word I was going to use, but I'm not because I think that's too much on an emotional side, but she is 13 (laughs) and the articles I'm reading about are almost unfair because there's this, branding that's going on where she's going to be the face of women's soccer moving forward. And I'm all mm-hmm. for that. I'm all for there being a face to sports. I mean, LeBron James has been the face of the NBA forever now, 
But to put that on a 13-year-old seems a little much mm-hmm. to me. And then already sure. taking away her eligibility to she now no longer can play collegiate soccer, which means school is not so much in her future. I think that's for a 13 year old. I think that's an early decision to be made. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. you at BU, has there ever been discussions with the other coaches when you're looking into recruiting? Like, is there an age range you're going for? I mean, is it early in high school? Do you avoid the kids who are 13 or 11 years old? Um, is that just not something you guys kind of look into? You kind of want to see more progress out of a, out of a player? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think um, so much of it is like a timeline, and there are a lot of NCAA rules that you have to even respect, and you can't communicate with, with players based on different graduation years. So the rules are in place so that such early commitments don't happen, or if they do, like you have to have time to see further development. But I think you said something that was very accurate is there's she's 13 years old and there's this immense pressure you know it's a compliment that people see so much in her but there's this immense pressure and I think you you lose so much of your your childhood years your formative years and you know she she probably never will play high school soccer or you talk about college is no longer that that you know pressing in the academic side of things I think um you gotta keep pouring into yourself not just in soccer, but in in terms of like your development as a person. So I think um, that's that's a tough thing to miss too. But I I do think that um, you need more time in development and and recruiting. Like you, it, that's why the rules are in place because you don't want to just um, commit to someone so early on, and then um, it's it's just a tough tough thing to do. So I think. Um, that's why we, you need the rules and, and you need to give players time to, to see them in different settings and to see how they grow and um, how they develop as players too. Right. And I think she deserves to be a kid to some degree, which I think is being stripped away. I mean, at 13, it was lucky if I remember to wear a shirt to school. So uh, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> or what your favorite color was. <laughs> or what my favorite color. I mean, I was going between blue and green. I think I settled on green for my Green Bay Packers. But um, – Oh, good for you. Good for yes, you. Yes, love love the Packers. It's a big staple of the show. <laughs> but while we've got you, we're gonna we're wrapping this up. We gotta ask a couple outside sports questions. Mostly, we just want to know: Do you have a pick for the NBA Finals? Do you have the Warriors or the Raptors? Uh man. I mean, being in Boston, I was I I haven't been to a Celtics game, but I I'm pulling was pulling for the Celtics, but um, I'm gonna go with the Raptors, and I I'm not fully confident in it, but uh, I'm going to say the Raptors. We're not confident either. I mean, I just lost a good amount of money picking the other way. And <laughs> and I got to tell you, the Boston sports scene blows my mind. I mean, I if, if you're playing Same. for the Breakers, yes, I want you guys to win. But I don't want any more wins in Boston. They have had so many wins over the last decade. It is absolutely mind-blowing. So outside of you yeah. potentially playing for Boston again, then we'll root for you guys. But no more wins for Boston. I have to put that out there right okay. now. Perfect. Okay. Well, I, you know, that's, I grew up in Buffalo as a Bills fan, so um, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, it's uh, definitely – Buffalo's tough. Not only is it cold, but the sports up there just have not not been what you want them to be. <laughs> we, we appreciate, no, not yeah, at all. 
we appreciate you so much coming out on the show, helping us out with the World Cup. It looks like we're all on Team USA, which makes sense as we are Americans here. Um, thank you so much. Anything you want to plug real quickly? Anything, any goodbye notes you may have? I just, I, I want to thank you guys so much for, for the opportunity. And um, I think as a coach and as a player, there's like so much to be said about helping people like kind of achieve their dreams or pushing them and stuff. But for me, I think one of my personal goals or dreams has always been to, um, to, or a bucket list, I guess you would say is to have a Ted talk or to have a platform. So um, I hope that you guys know that you just really helped me to kind of check something off the bucket list. And I'm so grateful. And um, I think, you know, everyone listening to your podcast, um, they should keep listening and um, so many different, aspects of sports you guys cover i've listened to a couple other podcasts but i think you guys do a great job so i'm really thankful for the opportunity and um i really enjoyed getting a chat with you guys today yeah and we graciously or we totally appreciate it as well as i'm slurring my words here at the end of this but no we appreciate everything you said you were absolutely fantastic and we'd love to have you back on the show again you brought so much insight to us that is beyond valuable and will be super valuable to those listening. So thank you so much again. This has been an awesome episode. This has been the opening line. Wits, you got any closing words? No, I just wanted to thank Tori for coming on. That was uh, that was an awesome episode, and she definitely gave us a lot of great insight. So looking forward to maybe having her back on the show someday uh, when we're the number one podcast in the USA. And, uh, That's the yeah. goal. On, Tori. And everybody follow Tormentor on Instagram. Great Instagram handle, by the way. It was super stoked to put that in a tag. That was fantastic. Thank you. Um, again, it's, a, it's, it's been, an old one, but thank you. I think it's great. That's And you know what? That's going to be our first sign we make when we're trying to get you on the uh, U.S. national women's team. We're going to be backing up that the Tormentor is coming. Um, no, no goals for international teams will be our slogan. And, uh, yeah, but thank you so much again. This has been an awesome episode. I hope everybody has a fantastic week and, uh, we'll get back to you guys very soon. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Open Line. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.